Galatians 2, we're going to finish this out today, which means I will be doing another overview episode on the podcasts as well for chapter 2 that will have more information like I did with chapter 1. All right, so last week we saw Paul rebuking. Peter and all that stuff, and then I said we would get to the solution. That's where we ended. The solution is justification by faith, okay? So you'll remember, right, Peter, uh, there was the men that came from Jerusalem. Peter was scared of what they would think about him or what was going on, whatever. We don't know, right? It was Judy, Judaizers, though. That was the thing. Because he had been eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles. He withdraws. He leads other people astray. He takes Barnabas with them. He says, Paul says they're hypocrites. So from with this withdrawal with his Gentile brothers and sisters, Paul spoke against Peter's hypocrisy. The pressure to draw back from the Gentile Christians was so great that Paul wrote that even Barnabas was led astray by that, right? Okay, so... Now we get to the solution. Let's start with 15. I'll read the rest and then we'll go back verse by verse. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's an interesting statement. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Right? He says, but yet we know. Who's the we? It would be Paul and Peter and the Jews. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I die to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Some big statements there. And that whole point there, Christ died for no purpose. What you guys are doing is to be true. There's no reason for this. Okay, so that the stage has been set, the hypocrisy, the withdrawing. Uh, from the Gentiles, all right, for Paul to come in and teach this doctrine of justification, okay? This is been this doctrine, okay? This is a doctrine, justification by faith, and it has been called the article by which the church rises and falls. It may seem easy. <laughs> it should be easy, but the doctrine of justification by faith is neglected. It's very neglected. It's not seen by some. Um, It's misunderstood. It was misunderstood then. It's misunderstood today. Instead of being embraced for the true gift in which the rest of our Christian faith is actually built upon. We're justified by faith. Faith alone. That's it. So 
Let's start with 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Is he saying that the Jews are not sinners? Right? We have to keep in mind the context, okay, of Peter and Barnabas and the Jewish Christians. They have withdrawn from the Gentiles. Paul says they are Jews and not Gentiles who are the sinners. All right? But it'll help us to understand that sinner is used here in a limited sense. Paul doesn't mean the Jews aren't sinners. Okay? And just the Gentiles are. We know this because if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we're going to find in other instances that all are sinners. Right? Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, right? Gentiles were automatically in the category of sinners, right? In the sense that they neither knew nor kept any of the legal requirements of Jewish life, the Mosaic law, right? So the Jews were not in that sense. So what Paul is saying here is that he and Peter were brought up as law-abiding, law-keeping Jews and not law-neglecting Gentiles, right? But now both he and Peter have come to know that no one, it doesn't matter who you're, who, what group you belong to, doesn't matter of the, the blood or the, the, you know, the lineage or any of that, it doesn't matter. They have come to know that no one can gain a just standing before God on the basis of just works, of efforts, of keeping a law in which he had laid out for them. So he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works, right? You're not justified by these works, even if you keep the law, right? But, but, he says, through faith in God, Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul, Paul uses the word justified three times here, stressing that we are justified by faith alone. <laughs> it's like hammering the point. Apart from works, apart from deeds of the law. The message of the Bible, right, is about how man is born into sin and you're born spiritually dead, can be brought into right standing with God and be accepted by God as righteous, right, because of faith through Christ. Obviously, it's full of other issues in the Bible. I know this. That are important and they're worthy of our time and our study. But if we fail to understand justification by faith, then we miss the primary purpose of the Christian faith. (laughs) You miss it. All right. So in that root word of justification, it means righteousness. It means the exact opposite of condemnation. So so we know we need to be justified. All right. We need to be justified, which means that our spiritual condition and our standing, our positional standing before God is one of unrighteousness before Jesus comes into our into play. Right. Our nature as sinners keeps us at in, um, enmity, 
can't say that word. Enmity with God. We sin, right? We practice sin. And that practice of sin continues to offend the holiness of God because he is holy. He is righteous. And we are in need of being put into a right standing with him. All right. So biblically in the words justify, justification and righteousness, the, the basic idea conveyed is of a legal right, like a legally right standing with God. All right. So when Paul writes, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works. He is speaking of a person's legal standing before God being declared right. All the other stuff is doesn't work. So we find this to be a, a vital matter when we consider the character of God, okay? Whether we look into the, the Old or the New Testaments, we always find God and his character, his attribute is consistent, right? He is consistently righteous. So as a righteous God, he has responsibilities that go along with that perfect righteousness. One of those is to deal justly with those who break his law or those who have any rebellion in their natures against his authority. He cannot uh, not, he cannot not be just, right? He cannot overlook sin without dealing with it. It is part of his whole nature as God to apply justice to his creation, okay? So we have the whole I don't know, movement of love, right? In the church, agape love, and it's true. That is a character. That is an attribute of God. But righteousness is in there, right? Wrath is in there. Holiness, justice, all of that is there. Okay, so for God to judge somebody based on their sin, right, is just. And would be unconditional love. As much as some people would say, no, I don't like that. So you hear that phrase, um, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin, right? It's a partial truth. So what's a partial truth? It's not truth. It's a lie. <laughs> Does God just send the, the, sin, the sin to hell? I know it's a difficult one to swallow. <laughs> it is. But it's through Christ who came as a man, right? And we'll get to that. But all of that, see, it all works together. It's not just, you know, ah, you're on the right path. Just keep searching in the new age. You'll finally find your path to God. No, you know, it's not that. He does not like that. <laughs> Right? It says oh, time and time again, they're sons of disobedience, children of wrath. These are people who are spiritually dead. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Right? But that does not mean that they will not be judged because justice has to be served. God has to apply justice to his creation. Okay? So the nature of God demands that each sin, each sinner be dealt with and for us to understand, it's in legal terms. So it has to be dealt with legally. 
The law of God that is bound up in his nature requires that each offense be paid for accordingly, okay? And yes, I, I said God is love, and along with him being love are all those other attributes, but the severity is found in the nature of our offense. We are not breaking a human law and thus offending only morally uh, or mortal creatures, right? We have broken divine laws and have infinitely offended the nature and character of God. See, the law is, in fact, good. It's holy, right? Because it came from God. Jesus fulfills the law because we can't. It doesn't make the law bad, right? It is good. And also, let me clarify a moment ago, and it's like, well, so does God hate sin? Yeah, he does, right? But we're told not to hate. Is that a contradiction? No, because we're human. When we hate, we sin. God can hate, and it's something beyond our comprehension because it's a righteous anger. He can't sin. When we hate, we sin, right? Because we're human. God is species, species unique, is what I always say, right? I get that from... Uh, What's his name? I don't know. Heiser. Uh, <laughs> he's species unique. He can't sin. Therefore, what we would perceive as hate, as saying hate sin, is it, totally beyond what hate is to us. Because when he hates, he's not offending. He's not sinning, okay? So, how can a sinful man justify himself before God? Right? And Paul, Paul's argument is you can't. <laughs> right? The Jews of the first century had inherited the teaching of self justification through obeying the law and, and, and adherence to the law. The works that were accounted as righteous would be added to the merit of a person's life, while their failures would become demerits then. So in the end, the weight of the balance, okay, the weight of the balance would determine the person standing before the judgment of God. That's how they, the first century Jews saw this. Okay, so we stand before God condemned. Our only hope is in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So Paul starts to unpack this right unpack it <laughs> he's going to unpack this doctrine guilty sinners are brought into right standing before god through faith in jesus right because god is gracious he's full of mercy and out of the abundance of his love god has provided two important things a solitary way for sinners to be declared righteous before him and the solitary way for God to be just in declaring sinners righteous. Two very important things. So what Paul is denying in this context is that identification with the Jewish people through the observance of these Jewish practices is not the basis of membership in the covenant people of God. He is appealing to the common affirmation of Jewish Christians themselves that believing in Christ Jesus, not following Jewish customs, is the basis of being justified, right? So being a Christian means that you have new righteousness, one that has been given to you by God through 
Christ as a gift of grace. Okay, it's imputed, right? It's in this impute, uh, imputation of righteousness is part of the doctrine of justification, right? We always wonder, why was I born a sinner then? That's not fair. I, I didn't, I always grew up like, why? Why am I a sinner? I was just born a sinner. I was the, just dealt a losing card then, right? That's the way I felt, didn't understand. Adam sinned, he sinned, he's the headship, he's the father of all humanity. What he did was imputed to all of us, right? Jesus comes as the last Adam then. What he does when we have faith then is imputed to us. We have no problem accepting that his righteousness could be imputed to us, but we still struggle with, well, why are people born sinners? It's the exact same thing, same math. Imputed. I get stumbled in my talking. I get my brain's going. So it is this righteousness and justification. Okay. It's received by faith alone in Jesus. And this is the heart of the gospel, right? From it, we cannot waver. We should not waver. We should not uh, bow to anything else. Paul didn't. All right. Concerning it, we cannot offer an alternative at all. Like the Judaizers were trying to do. It becomes a false gospel. It's in it alone that we can be declared righteous before God. All right. So to, to think that God himself, he became a man, right? 100% man, 100% God. It's known as the hypostatic union. Then he fulfilled all the righteousness demanded by the law on humanity's behalf. Then bore our transgressions and iniquity on the cross so that we might be declared righteous in God's eyes makes this doctrine divine, right? So strictly translated, the phrase could be nevertheless. This is this is set me back for a moment when I was studying. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through Christ's faith. Remember when I texted you that? It's like, what? And I said, wait. Christ's faith. And I looked it up again, and I looked at another commentary, and I looked at another one, and then I looked at Young's literal translation, and then I looked at the Greek <laughs> and translated and kept looking at it, and I was just like, man. And then I wrote, did you catch that? The truth is here, God is saying here, because this is Paul writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is saying here that we are not justified by our works, nor our own faith. But by the faith of Jesus. We are made righteous by his faithfulness in obediently doing what was required by God's law to save us and in giving us the faith to trust in him. That faith is a gift from God that we receive. Our faith is a gift, right? It's Christ's faith is imputed to us. The faith that has saved us is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't give you goosebumps. I don't know. 
Paul emphasizes that in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's Ephesians 2.8. It is the faith that is the gift of God. Okay, so therefore, when we trust in Christ, it is the evidence that God has saved us by giving us his faith. I know, I know, you're shaking. <sighs> really? You see people like, I'm not mocking, please don't think that. I decided, right? They even have shirts, I've decided. So-and-so made a decision today. Christ made that decision for you. He, it was his faith. That's a lot. It's a lot to understand in modern day evangelical church. We think we, I finally, you know, we do it all the time. I grew up saying this. Well, when I finally decided to follow Jesus and we've already gone through it, God chose us. When I finally built my faith up, I didn't build nothing up. <laughs> I didn't build anything up at all. It's Jesus's faith. That is remarkable. I'll move on. Paul, so we remember, Paul's addressing Jews because he writes, we, okay, we. Paul's logic here is, how can you have it both ways, guys? Because you can't. How can you say that you are not saved by the law and then expect the Gentiles to follow the law as a way to salvation? Why would you force that notion on them when you claim to be justified through Jesus, right? So 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a, ser a servant of sin? Certainly not. Now it's a hard, it can be a hard verse if you don't pay attention to, to the context, okay? The we, the we in the verse is the we from verse 15. We who are Jews by nature. Paul's talking about Peter and himself and the other Jewish Christians. All right. So note that they, they weren't being accused of immoral behavior like sexual immorality or being deceitful here. All right. They were being accused of a specific sin, which was breaking the, the law by eating with Gentiles. The conflict was because of their practice of breaking Jewish purity laws by eating with them. When you keep that in fo focus, it becomes clear that the term sinners then would refer to they're still breaking the law, right? They're breaking the law. And this would be a, a dietary or ceremonial laws. So that behavior put them on the same le level as Gentiles then because they were sinners outside the covenant people of God. All right, so Paul's antagonist contended that justification by faith eradicates the moral law Right? So if grace does away with law, then people can live as they please. They argued that eliminating the law would mean that a person could do as he or she pleases. And Peter and his crowd argued by implication that a person has to work for that justification. All right? The cross of Christ is not enough for salvation. You have to do these things. All right? So there's this ad um, admission on the part of Jewish Christians that justification by works proves that they uh, are sinners. Their failure in keeping the law forces them to admit their sinful condition. They did not find righteousness in keeping the law. Paul's just like pulling the whole rug out from him. 
So if, if God declares a person right in his eyes by faith, does this make Christians lawless? That's the question. Hmm? Say it again. If God declares a person right in his eyes by faith, does that make Christians lawless? Right? Now we're dealing with legalism in this, right? So the legalists argued in this way. If Christ does away with law for salvation and sanctification, then that would make Christ lawless. Right? Christ would then be endorsing sin. And that conclusion, though, is false because Christ dealt with the sin issue on the cross. We know this. To believe that God justifies and sanctifies a person by faith does not imply lawlessness. And that's why he's saying he asked that question in 17, right? Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. They're thinking, you're just doing what we hear it today all the time, though, right? Yeah, you hear it today. You can't just throw the law out. As I said, it's perfect. It's holy. It was God. But Jesus fulfilled that law. Like, I'm going to eat bacon. Okay? <laughs> I like pork. <laughs> right? Plus, we're all guilty because we're wearing mixed fabrics, too. Right? I mean, these are the things that are in the law, right? I mean, there's highly more important things. But it's all good and holy, right? But this is the thing. People go, man, that grace message, right? I've been called hyper-grace, too. And I'm like, really? Like, okay. But you're hyper-grace. That means you're just advertising sin. <laughs> you can sin all the time. No, I didn't say that. Never. I've never said that. I've never said it at all. You guys were conflicted, too, though, right? We had to set, you know. You're like, what, what do you mean? What do we do? What, what, what do we do? What, what do we not do? <laughs> right? What? It, it feels good, okay? And, and, and that's the whole thing, all right? The legalists argued then if that's, that makes Christ lawless. Christ would endorse sin, okay? No, no, no. Liberty is not liberty from God's righteous standard. Okay? Our Christian liberty, our Christian freedom is not from God's righteous standards. Neither is it lawlessness to fellowship with Gentiles. All right? Going back to the law as a system of salvation and sanctification abandons the grace principle. Implying what Christ did on the cross was not insufficient then, right? So Peter's return to legalism was attack on grace. That's the issue. The conclusion is, no, certainly not. Right? The conclusion that Christ is the minister of sin is not the right uh, view here if Peter's reverse, uh, reversal to legalism is right. The thought that Jesus is the minister of sin is of revolting thought to Paul. The law cannot add anything to the death of Christ for our sins. If we investigate justification in Christ carefully and find ourselves to still be sinners, that does not make Christ the minister of sin then because you still sin, right? 
<laughs> yeah. All right. This is an, 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 a, just a birth type of thought for him. So Paul admittedly denied the accusation that Christ promotes sin by offering the principle of grace. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. This is Paul's argument for why Jesus is not an agent of sin when he frees us from dependence on law. What, what had Paul destroyed in the pre preceding verse? Right? It's clear, right? In seeking to be justified in Christ, Paul had destroyed the law as a means of justification. You are not justified by keeping the law, by doing the works or the deeds of the law, right? To rebuild the law means to reinstate the law for the supervision then of the Christian life. If the law is reinstated, then the Christian is proved to be a lawbreaker. Right? That's what he says in 18. So with 17 and 18 in mind, we get when Jesus leads us to trust him for justification, instead of trusting our own legal efforts, he is not an agent of sin for what really makes a person a true transgressor of the law is not the, the, not the neglect of its statuses, a ceremonial or moral statuses, but the mixing of law and grace. The transgression against God is to presume that you can earn your way into his favor, and you can't. The transgression is the rebuilding of the law, not breaking it. Peter's real transgression was that he did not live consistently according to the truth of the gospel. The gospel had destroyed all of the essential distinctions between the Jews and Gentiles and rendered inoperative all laws that upheld those distinctions. Whoever observed all the Jewish law and so maintained such Jew slash Gentile distinctions violated the truth of the gospel, right? And that's what is going on here. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So if you must die to the law in order to live to God, then clearly it is a transgression to try to build the law again. Right? This is why you have to follow the flow here. Paul declares that his death was accomplished by identification with the cross of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ is what he's about to say. So when we interpret through the law in light of this declaration, I have been crucified with Christ, then we can see that death to the law through the law, I know it's, it's deep, is accomplished by identification with the death of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. It's always central focus here. Cross of Jesus, okay? Jesus plus nothing. <laughs> I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was crucified with Christ. Paul means that in God's reckoning, it is a fact that he has already paid the price for his sin, right? 
As one whom God has chosen to save, Christ took upon himself my sins and your sins and his crucifixion. So in principle, you and I were crucified on the cross in Christ. And now he and us live by faith. Why? Because we have become united to the Lord Jesus Christ who is the victorious Savior. Now, Christ is life. And in union with him, you and I have been given eternal life. Having eternal life, we will never be threatened again by eternal damnation. We have eternal life. That's why it's called eternal. Eternal life. <laughs> it's, not, it's not you're in today, out tomorrow. When you mess up, it's eternal. It's already been established. It cannot be taken away. So verse 20 outlines, then in brief, what the gospel has done to save and to sanctify. That when a man is saved by faith in Christ, he has died in Christ to the law. Christ now lives within him, enabling him to live righteously. He is now able to live a new life by faith, not by works. And that, that is a vast... Uh, that's vastly superior to the old way of life. I, and then he's in 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So the nullify means to set aside. So we set aside the grace of God, right? Listen to this, this is important. We set aside the grace of God by attempting to add our human effort to it. Adding all these things, right? And we've talked about it numerous amounts of times going through this already. All right, the legalism, the, the additions, you got to do this, now you got to do that. Now this has to take place. And now maybe you've got some sort of sin you've not repented for. Like, really? <laughs> go through this thing, go through that now. <sighs> Burdensome. <clears throat> We set aside the grace of God by attempting to add anything to it or adding our human effort to it. If a person can be saved by baptism or membership in the church, helping the poor, trying to be a good person or any other work on their own, then Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing then, right? How many people, when you ask them if they think they're a good person, is going to say, yes, I'm a good person? Yeah, pretty much everybody. Everybody thinks they're a good person. If a good person is all you gotta, all it's gotta, you gotta be to go to heaven, then Christ died for nothing. Why would the Son of God empty himself of, of his eternal glory to become a lowly man and allow himself to be humiliated, stoned, and mocked, spat on, scourged, heaven's the hairs of his beard plucked out and nailed onto a cross to die if salvation could be attained by any other means. If a person cannot be saved by keeping God's law, how then can any other human action save them? Salvation comes only through that blood, the shed blood of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith, and only grace through faith, and that's it. And it sounds repetitive, but that's the message. The good works by which we are saved are the good and perfect works of the law that Christ came to accomplish on our behalf. 
The law, which demands perfection, was fulfilled in him. And when he died as a sinless sacrifice on our behalf, we died with him when we accepted that sacrifice for us. Romans 5, 18 and 19. So then, as through one tra transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. All right, the Adam, right? Remember federal headship? Father of all men, Adam, right? Even so, through one act of righteousness, Jesus, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Jesus. All right. So we could, we could say every believer in this room was saved by good works. They just didn't happen to be their own. It was Christ. <laughs>